0: Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. One Apple Street, challenging structural norms. Brought to you in association with Hilson Moran. Hello everybody. I hope you're all well. Thank you for joining us after after lunch in this very warm tent. Um, Today we'll be talking about One Apple Street, um, challenging structural norms. It's a really, really interesting project. And we've got a panel of really good speakers for you today. just a bit of housekeeping, there's an there's a app, if you can photo it, uh, for Slido, or there's a code, FP23, where you can access it through the Footprint app if you want to ask questions. There will also be a roving mic, so if you do have questions, please do um, interact at the end of the talk. We want a lot of questions on this project. We want to see your opinions, um, and we want to see what you think. So Today we've got um, no, Anthony Chudley from British Land, um, client for the project. Um, David Watson from AKT2, the lead structural engineer, associate director, and Isabel de Mora, who's going to be um, going through the architectural side of the project. So I'm going to hand over to Anthony first of all. So please enjoy and listen carefully. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Hey. Uh, so, firstly, thank you to Hilson Moran for hosting us, and great to be here amongst you all, Um, and to provide some insight on One Apple Street, which is a fantastic project with a great team. So, One Apple Street, what is it, where is it? It's a 190,000 square foot, detached, seven story, commercial office building with fantastic bones, sitting in the heart of our Broadgate campus in the city. Squatting low neatly between 10 Exchange Square here and five Broadgate here, you can just see it with the ring, with a red, red line around it. And it's one of the last buildings in Broadgate picked for redevelopment. It's an original SOM design specifically built for trading and finance and it was a real one-off for its time boasting fantastic 18 meter spans from column to column and then we've got these brilliant kind of floor-to-ceiling heights of just under 3.8 on the trading floors and slightly lower on the upper floors. It's got a slightly unusual core and light well configuration uh, with three satellite cores and a rectangular central core here. Um, But fortunately, and as David will probably mention a bit later, it's designed in such a way whereby most of the load is supported by the perimeter columns. Therefore, the internal core configuration can be easily adapted. It was built at a time in the city when roller racking was in its prime. Photocopiers were about the size of a small car. Big open-plan, high-density trading offices were commonplace. It was built at a time when the outlook on computers was that they would increase in size. And obviously, this trend has gone completely the other way on how we work today. There was also a desire to control vibration performance in an age before modern analysis and techniques could actually do this. And lastly, looking at the bottom right-hand image, that's not Team Drinks. Uh, It was lastly built at a time where office drinks trolleys were nothing out of the ordinary. And the term hybrid working meant something completely different. There was certainly no consideration of carbon during this time, or working from home for that matter. So all this resulted, maybe bar the drinks trolley, in the live loads being designed to just less than 5 kilonewtons per meter squared, which in the commercial office world today is way in excess of what we actually require. Why Why are we looking to redevelop the building? We're due to get vacant possession this year, on the assumption that Deutsche Bank are vacating. The existing building has pretty poor sustainability credentials It's gas, it's got a very permeable facade, it's energy intensive, has a very poor EPC, it has a poor level of amenity and floor layout in contrast with today's standards. And when we took on managing the building, we soon realised it was in a pretty poor state of repair. Most of the plant and lifts require replacing, various (coughs) leaks as you can see here and defects throughout the building that we need to deal with. So in summary, it's far from best-in-class space that occupies, certainly in the City of London, demand now. So what do we do? In true developer form, we love options, as some of the teams sitting here will know and hear. So we reviewed in the region of about 20 options, from new build to refurbishment, minimum lettable product, light refurbishment, extensions, you name it, we've got a name for it. And we slowly narrowed this down to three options, focusing on cost, area, program, but also embodied carbon, right from the outset. So option one on the left would retain the structure shell layout with a typical Cate and landlord upgrade whilst this would provide low embodied carbon, it wouldn't really give the high quality look and feel that we were after in the city for a brand new HQ building that we were trying to develop. The core layout was far from ideal. The commercial performance was also pretty poor, given it had little to no massing added onto it. Option three on the other side, other extreme. That was our new build review. It presented best commercial performance, with the massing of 15 stories. but was obviously the highest on embodied carbon, which detracts from our own company aspiration, and also the project brief of where we were going. And then in the middle, the redevelopment. So this would capitalize on the existing structure itself, and its over-specified 1980s design loading for car-sized photocopiers. And this meant we could add additional stories to the existing structure, four in total, and extend the existing floor plates using the existing structure and the embodied carbon already in the structure. It would properly reposition the building and create the look and feel of a brand new HQ. However, with yields moving out, the commercial performance wasn't quite where we wanted it. So with an expert team, keep saying expert team, it is an expert team, we challenged them to hunt for value. Think outside the box, test the principles. No idea is a stupid idea. And we collectively, I say collectively, came up with a very simple answer. Add five stories rather than four. Improves the net. What's the problem? It wasn't such a stupid idea, actually. And there's two ways of actually delivering it. Firstly, we looked at reinforcing the existing structure below ground to embrace this. However, this would add an additional 1,200 kilograms, sorry, 1,200 tons of carbon in order to maintain the industry live load norm of 2.5 plus 1, as some of you may be familiar with on the live load, kilonewtons per meter squared. Or, the alternative is, we challenge the norm. Seek to reduce the live load without needing to go back into the ground. You can probably guess which option we went for. And this slide and the images you've probably already seen shows our proposed seven stories plus five new. And I won't go all through all the project brief in much detail, as Isabel will probably come on to all of this. But what's really great about retaining the structure on this building is not only the carbon saving, but it's the characteristics we get with that. And I don't think you'll ever see a building of this quality with 18-meter spans or floor-to-ceiling heights in excess of kind of 3.6, 3.7 on any new build today. Um, so that's a very brief summary on the building itself. I'm going to hand over to Isabel who's going to talk more broadly on the vision and design
2: thanks um can everybody hear me okay um so when we were approached by british land to to do a feasibility study on the options for um refurbishing apple street and making into a new landmark within the campus we went through all 20 studies that anthony has mentioned um all based on a very onerous brief from a client side we were asked to repurpose and extend the capacity of the existing building, providing best-in-class uh, workplace offer, maximise the reuse of the existing structure, minimise embodied and operational carbon, achieve the maximum we could on all the certifications with a target of, you know, BREEAM Outstanding, Wirescore, Platinum, Neighbours 5+, Plus, focus the, um, the offer for the office space in wellbeing and amenity, um, the building has an existing gym that the client decided to, British Land decided to retain, even, even though that might not have been the most commercial, commercially feasible um, option. Um, improve biodiversity and urban greenery. Improve how the building sits um, and relates to the newly uh, redeveloped Exchange Square and the urban context. And provide best in class end of journey <coughs> facilities. Basically, the brief for a very high aspirational new building but keeping as much of the existing as we could. So here was the challenge. How to create a new landmark, something that looks completely new, but that we know in the core it's retained as much of the existing as we possibly could, use all the best qualities, and still provide um, something that competes at the same level, if not even better, with current new-built offices. The focus for the offices, obviously best in class, providing making use of these really large spans we have in the offices. Um, the structural works allow us to create cantile- you know, uh, panoramic balconies that overlook the, the square, and uh, bringing greenery and an amenity, external outdoor amenity, into the, every floor of the, of the building. A truly sustainable approach to um, structural retention. So you can see here in red the extent of the existing building with all the all the piles and the foundations, and how much we can actually build on top of that. This has been um, achieved because of the way the structural works um, that we will talk in a second. And also an approach not only for the building, but the immediate context and how we could improve public realm with a focus on biodiversity and accessibility. So the project grew outside of its boundaries to capture Exchange Place and make it part of the landscape of Exchange Square. The sustainability overview of the building, as you can see here, all the targets and all the um, Key identity items of the of the project. So we have uh, PVs on the roof, renewable energy sources, external amenity, an urban greening of uh, 0.3, mixed mode ventilation system, um, the substantial retention of the structure, a full circular economy strategy, and material passport in line with British Land um, um, brief and scope for older projects. We retain the leisure amenity, the gym on the on the basement. There is water recycling. It's climate change resilient, air quality positive, addresses noise and microclimate, targets all the certifications that we can see here. I'm not going to go into detail in them. And obviously, the main one is to install um, a new high quality facade, because the existing one didn't perform anymore. So here you can see the existing building and the retaining structure. As you can see, it's very much like for like. We retain a 75% of the massing of the overall structure. there is an existing atrium in the middle, and the satellite cores that, um, that Anthony was mentioning that have allowed us to reconfigure the space, retaining all the amazing structure with 18-metre spans. Thank you to the sway frame. And um, we achieve all the extensions, um, I'll talk in a second, um, because of the, of the capacity of the existing structure. We approach a building. How can we create a new identity with something that is already there, and it has such a presence? The existing, you can see, was quite contained, looking inwards, small windows, um, not particularly present in the street, a little bit outdated. So how, you know, stripping out all the facade, putting a high-energy efficiency one, expanding the floor plates, create these panoramic views, you know, like 360 views around the building, in line with the quality an office should have these days. And also, we enhanced the floor plates and added extended amenity, also, as you can see here, exposing the existing structure that gives us some um, further headroom within the floors and um, strong identity for the building. Here, you can see how the floor plate extension happened. So, this is where the satellite cores and original cores were. This is the atrium. We create a new central core with new foundations that allows us to extend all these additional floors and can deliver outwards with some um, strengthening of the perimeter columns. So, I'm almost doubling up in size with very minimal intervention on the foundations. And as you can see, it allows us to completely reposition the building as a new landmark um, in the city of London. It provides premium office space. It has this amazing thanks SOM for this 18-meter long spans. Um, it's free of, uh, free of column-free office space. The central core offers maximum fit-out flexibility. It has enhanced headroom in some floors because of the trading nature of the original building. It presents 360 panoramic views and it has the planted balconies all to the east, um, overlooking the Liverpool Street Station and the new Landscape Square. As you can see here, all the services are contained within the core, providing the opportunity for a demise for two tenants, and you can see how the space is clear of columns with some of the existing leftovers from the satellite cores that were there, and how the structure cantilevers on all directions, creating enhanced floor plates and reconfiguring the shape. Some internal views just to show how, by exposing the, structure, the existing structure, we create a more generous space and a glimpse into the unitized facade system with RC cladding that provides um, passive solar shading. The view to the balconies, and some initial out, test fits with the difference between the existing trusses and the new proposed trusses following the same structural approach. Um, A bit of a challenge that was, because keeping the existing building that was um, landlocked uh, on the area of um, Liverpool Street Station here and and the northern side towards Exchange Place, so how can we provide, preserve the current address into Apple Street and then give it a new address and a new identity to Exchange Square, while linking both, providing amenity providing um, a number of um, uses, like a brasserie, a new access to the gym, um, best-in-class end-of-journey access. So we managed to create um, a tier podium that connects the two, creating two very meaningful um, identities on the square and on the street. This is the new entrance to the square, where you can see some of the retained existing structure, the reinforced columns, that allow, and the new columns that allow us to cantilever the floor plates outwards. Again, the, this is Apple Street uh, with the existing structure again, and the view when you approach from the northern side with the new um, wellness amenities. So this is the entrance to the gym and the Apple Street um, entrance, and you can see the landscape um, accessible route towards the square. And another area we obviously, with this proposal, we wanted to address it as a as a new building, so you address all the sides. There is a very interesting route that connects Liverpool Street with the. With uh, shortage and the north side of the city, um, which is Sunny Street Passage, which at the moment you can see is not particularly appealing. So, you know, the new configuration allows us to create, a com- completely change the streetscape and see the building within the context. Um, it has, the, as, um, as part of the well being um, and amenity offer, it has um, the existing gym with a 25 meters pool with some entrance there, and the, the most significant. Um, Part of the identity of the project um, is probably the, the landscape and the, and the greening of. Uh, so you can see how the, the, the concept of so DSDHA, who work on the, on the landscape, um, are, are also the landscape architects of the, of the building. And you can see how the greenery climbs up through all this eastern façade to the balconies onto the roof and now it spills out onto Apple Street, so Exchange Place. Providing um, amenity for all the office occupiers and for a private office on the top as well as bringing biodiversity and increasing the urban greening factor Now after all the pretty pictures I'm gonna pass to David who's gonna talk about more technical items
3: Okay, thank you Isabel Okay, so I'm gonna talk about the the key structural moves that allowed this transformation to happen, that allowed us to achieve this product but retain so much of the structure. Now, I should warn you beforehand, there's going to be some numbers. There'll be a few graphs. Just bear with me. If there's questions, then we can address them at the end. So we're going to have to get into this live loading. So just for the benefit of those that might not be fully aware of what we mean by live loading, live loading is the stuff that is on the floor. It's the people. It's the desks. It's the movable equipment that is on the floor. That is the bit that we're interested in, in here. And what we can see with a current typical office occupancy is there's not that much stuff on the floor. Offices can be used for all sorts of different things, but there's actually not that much load. But we design for quite a high load. And some of that is historic. Old habits die hard. And Anthony touched upon this. The prevalence of racked storage, lots of paper storage, trolleys, and so on. If we compare it, if we look at a car park, this, this load on the, on the uh, right-hand side, this is full of Range Rovers. That's 2.5 kilonewtons per meter squared. You can think of this, if you just multiply by 100, you get to kilograms. So 2.5 kilonewtons is 250 kilograms per square meter. That's 2.5 kilonewtons per square meter. We design offices for more than that. So it seems as though there's a gap between design values and reality. Just another way of visualizing that, if we completely packed out this space with people at a comfortable-ish density, we would have, what is this, 5,600 people per floor or 65,000 people across the building. We, We can see that that isn't realistic. Okay, and that's not using the full allowance. That's only 1.4 kilonewtons per meter squared. And people are heavy. Okay, in comparison to other things that we put on office floors, people are actually heavy because we can, we can, uh, you know, we're tall. Simple as that. OK, so we took it back to first principles, performance. And we said, let's look at all of these tenancy plans. Let's look at how offices are actually inhabited. And there's all sorts of different ways that that can happen. Typically, it's open plan office now. But it can also be cellular office. It can be auditorium spaces. It can be meeting rooms and breakout, corridor spaces, small kitchens. And we can look at all of those uses, and we can look at a range. And we did this by actually really packing out the floors. So this was multiple screens on on desks, lots of books, lots of people around the desks. We were really taking it to an almost unrealistic level of loading. And even then, if we look at the ranges here, we can find that they all fall below 2.5 kilonewtons per meter squared, 250 kilograms there or thereabouts per meter squared, including partitions. And this is a point to make here is that there's a real difference between cellular office and open plan office. Open plan office, there can be more people generally, less loading from from partitions. In a cellular office, more loading from partitions, but generally less people. There's fewer people in those offices. And yet, we're designing generally for one value. And that value is this 2.5 kilonewtons for the live load and 1 for the partitions. But we can see here, by looking at actually hundreds of different floor plans in this instance, it's less than 2.5. We're not the only ones to look at this. There are studies going back all the way to the 1970s that show that the range never comes to 2.5. This is something that's been talked about for decades now. And every maybe 10 years, there is a study proposed to look at it again. But old habits die hard. The key message, though, is that If we were designing for 2.5, we wouldn't change the performance of the floor. We still get the same performance. It still gets the same flexibility in the future. We get the same performance. All of these studies support that. And if we look beyond the range, because the range will always capture the extremes, let's look at what typically happens. And this graph is a probability density. So this is if you look at all of those loadings and you add them up, this is the cumulative amount of that loading. And we can see that the peak is very much weighted towards the lower end, less than actually the mean at 0.6 kilonewtons per meter squared. And this is really quite important, because this is telling us that there's, if you look at it one way, unused capacity in structures that might be standing against reuse. And we are also over-designing. And let's remember that carbon dioxide released now has a much bigger impact than carbon dioxide released in the future in terms of climate change. So there's a real imperative for us to reduce this potential wastefulness, if we want to put it that way, or maximize the opportunity. That's the way I prefer to, to think about it. So we looked at various studies. We looked at precedent. But then we also tested it on floor plates. And we see the highest that we managed to come up with re- reasonably was a cellularized office. It's still less than 2 kilonewtons per meter squared. And the peak was less than two and a half, including partitions. Okay. We can then also compare it to Eurocode. It will work within EuroCode. We can work within the the code prescriptions. This is checked with building control. It's also checked with letting agents. Um, It's it's been stress tested, but we come to this conclusion that we can design to two and a half, still have the same performance, but we get big gains. OK, that's a key design criteria, but we still then have to learn about the building. And if you want to learn about buildings on the Broadgate estate, you go here, specifically that green bit at the bottom, which is the basement to Exchange House. Because they had the foresight in the 80s to keep incredible records of the buildings before OM manuals were even a thought. And if you can go down there and you work through the microfiche, you can find these records. Okay? and We can use them. One of the most impactful things we can do as designers, clients, building owners, is keep better records for the future for people to use. And we use them here. So we take, take all of that information, geotechnical, that's drawings, ground investigations. We even had pile calculations, pile tests here. We can then supplement that with targeted investigations to give us a picture on the geotech side, and we do the same sort of thing structurally. We take all of that information, we interpret it, we build our models, and we can then start testing options. And we have this input of two and a half kilonewtons per meter squared to get the most out of the bones, the good bones, that we find. Opportunities that we did find, Anthony already mentioned this, the, the existing floors were designed to quite high loading levels, much higher than we need now. So that tells us that the vertical structure is going to have some extra capacity. We have this perimeter moment frame, which is both good and a challenge. From the point of view of extending the building, we know we're going to have to supplement the stability system. But in the temporary condition, it gives us stability. So we can reconfigure. And because we had all of that information on the foundation, there's been a step change in what we can do in taking capacity from existing foundations, if we have the info. So we can apply performance-based design, as we do in the office, to really squeeze out all of that capacity. No waste in situ. And the result, this is what we were waiting for. What does it all add up to? Well, it adds up to, if we compare on the left-hand side and the middle image, if we go with a a 2.5 kilonewton live load versus a a 2.5 plus 1, we get two extra floors than we would otherwise. And that really can be a tipping point, clearly a tipping point between reuse of a structure and not reusing a structure. And that then implies wasting all of that frame below. So for existing buildings, this is really, really important. For new build, there are efficiencies. But for various reasons that are too complex to go into now, they tend to to be a little bit smaller, a little bit less impactful. And what I'm going to finish on here is just pointing out that the the base Eurocode is actually being reviewed at the moment. And there is a move with a view to harmonizing across the full European Union, including still the UK, uh, to move to a 3 plus 1. And what that would do is that would actually take another floor off. Okay, so we can see then that we move to three floors less of this typical building than we would otherwise. So comments have been returned on this revision to the Eurocode. I should also mention that there is a planned wider study. We shared some studies earlier on office, office use. It is time for another one. And this time, we really do want to make sure that that gets to the UK committee. We make the right decisions because this has potential for massive impact across the industry. That's the end, from me.
0: Thank you. Brilliant. Um, We have approximately no questions at the moment, so please do um, use the app, or uh, go on slido.com and use the uh, hashtag. I've got a question just to start off with for for Anthony and maybe both of you afterwards. In terms of challenges for the project and the the barriers you saw, because obviously there is some commercial risk that we'd mentioned. What what would you say were sort of the top two things that you needed to resolve to get this
1: Um, a workable solution? I think I think as David kind of touched on in, in his slides, it's it's around data, and we're really really fortunate in this instance, to have that level of data that we could actually get hold of in the bottom of Exchange House. Um, it, it wasn't easy getting it. Uh, we went through folders and folders and folders of various project, uh, various projects, not even one Apple Street, and didn't actually find what we wanted, which was essentially the subcontractor as pill drawings. Um, we did have a level of information at that time, which we based a pretty punchy assumption on and work through stage one with that assumption with the expectation of stage two that we would find these drawings it was a bit of a nervy moment during stage two three months on after stage one didn't have anything and then four months on after stage one alleluia someone from AKT had found expanded pile drawings in the internal finishes section of one Apple Street and it It just demonstrates how the kind of categorization Mm. and filing of data is so important.
2: Mm.
1: You know, if that was put in a different file somewhere else, wherever, we we may not be sitting here now with with this project on, you know, discussing this project, and certainly with the amount of stories it's got, or we may have a very different design about going back into the ground. So no other way to resolve that? Would there be just a touch on
0: that?
3: There are, um, but it, it changes the framing. So that instead of validating or being able to work on best information, it's more exploratory. And there's a point at which to get the information that you would have had from that archive information, you're doing more damage. In an extreme case, more damage than than is justified. But also access um, and, and the cost of that, access particularly at an early stage. there are There are ways of getting close, but I don't think there's as good a substitute for really good existing records, particularly focused on things like the foundations, because they're, they're necessarily going to be harder to investigate anyway. Um, there, are, there are ways of doing it, but they're necessarily going to be harder to investigate.
1: And I think I think kind of you know the other challenge, one of the biggest challenges that we've been facing is you know it's all very well you know we're, we're retaining 75% of the existing structure and the existing building. Um, we're saving a lot of carbon, brilliant, but it's, but it's also quite restrictive in terms of what you can do, what you cannot do. The receptions we wouldn't have designed like we had on screen if we didn't have huge beams running through them. It'd be very different for a new build. Um, you know, as probably some of the people in the audience will know, connections of steels from existing to new is always a bit of a problem on site. Who takes liability for that? Um, and then the amount of core layouts we did, Isabel, I think, went up to 100 in the end, over 100. I think, I think you lost your temper with me in the end. Um, but, it, but again, it was very restrictive around what we could do around the cores, the configurations of that, and how we did it. So, so yeah, wh- whilst it's, it's brilliant from, from the side of you know, sustainability and embodied carbon and really driving towards that, That I mean, we, we look at sub-500 kilograms of CO2 per meter squared on our redevelopment and new builds. That's our target now. You know, we're, we're, we're beyond that now of about 4.15 on this project, um, but not without its difficulties. And I think that's I that's think that's one.
3: a good point to bring up, because we, we said it's challenging structural norms, but that extends across all facets of design. You know, we, we should be questioning, what do we actually need to provide the performance that we want? We go beyond just deemed-to-satisfy approaches and code and received wisdom and ask, well, what impact does it have? And it, and it is generally harder to do. It takes longer. You know, we talk about the option studies, we talk about all the different core configurations and having to work with constraints. But it is possible. And you can end up with a, with a building at the end that is, that is great, that, that, that shows no compromise, really, if we go about it in the right way. But it's, it is hard work.
0: Isabel, just to back up that question before I come to some questions, because they're coming through. Um, how did you find architecturally, did, that, did, the, did the structure, we mentioned all the cores, did that cause a problem for you, architecturally, or did you just learn to work with it is that what you were doing? Well, I,
2: I think the challenge here as designers is that um, design is nowadays messy. Like, it's not like the old-fashioned architect who will come with a white paper, and you have an empty site where you could do whatever you want, right? Like, we've built everywhere and everything now, and we have a, sustainability responsab- a sustainable responsibility to us as, as designers and builders and contractors, right? So we, uh, the parameters are no longer the taste and the context, there are many other things like dealing with the existing structures. So what Anthony was mentioning, for instance, about the core or the receptions, the core wasn't just A driver to maximize efficiency was because we wanted to minimize provide everything we had to while providing the support for the new floors and Minimizing demolition, so if we were about beyond certain footprint We needed to demolish seven trusses, right? So we and our carbon numbers were going through the roof So how can we mitigate that and and those are parameters that um, only in recent years are? Becoming a very meaningful part of the equation and as designers it is uh, it's something that is slightly nagging when you start working on a project like this because you don't have the, the liberty and the freedom that perhaps you had before. But it is it's a, it's a learning curve, and um, it, it's a lot. I don't know. It gives a lot more satisfaction when yeah. you actually achieve a product that looks exactly like a completely new build, but with uh, with all those constraints. And,
3: and can it also add a richness that you wouldn't have necessarily if it was designed from that blank sheet of paper to begin with? There are some happy accident is the wrong way to put it, but there are some things that it presents. As you say, the, the span, the articulation of the, the trusses that form the floor, that, that's not something that is really done now. It, but it adds to the story of the building, it adds to a richness, and maybe it is about rebranding a little bit. You know, we talk about talk about vintage clothes, right? Um, they're not they're not secondhand clothes necessarily, and it's a completely different view. So there's a kind totally. of richness and of I think
2: it's important to say that we should all lose this fear to say that retaining buildings and structure needs to look pastiche or low quality because. Uh, it can look completely new, like this is, this is going to be, you know, like the detailing, like all the mechanical fixing, all, everything between new and existing and how it, it has a vast amount of work and a lot of risk from a client perspective in terms of time and program, but um, it, it, will, it will be a, a new building, right? It will just have the bones of an existing one. Thank
0: you. Thank um. you got a question here from someone in the audience. Uh, were there any concerns that below-code live loading might affect the saleability of the assets in a due diligence scenario, if that route were taken?
3: So I can pick up on the, the first point, is that it, it isn't actually below-code provision. So the, the base provision is 2.5 kilonewtons per meter squared, according to Eurofod, Eurocode conformity. And that's carried through into the national annex. Um, so I think that's just the first point. It is lower than is commonly adopted. But by looking at it from a, f- from a performance basis and the first principles, we can see that it doesn't impact the future use. So we can actually check and say, well, quite apart from the fact that the long span floors here wouldn't be appropriate, for example, residential use without alteration or hotel use, the loading would conform. So it can be, it can be a, a saleable asset in the future. And it doesn't compromise at all on the office use. And that is the full richness of office use we 're not going to be going back to a heavier office in the future. We're, we should be using less things. Right? We should be using less stuff, less mass so
1: it 's you know. yeah, completely I think, I think to support that you know from a from a more holistic view, certainly aside from kind of the technicalities around live loading from from a British land perspective, it was trying to get an idea from from the market and the occupy market and agents and uh, investment agents that that we we're actually doing the right thing. So we we road showed this for about six months um, to two agents, to occupiers, to to occupiers agents, to investment agents. You know, you name it. We went round and, and did it. Other structural engineers as well. So there was a slight there was a slight nervousness at the beginning, but I think you know we've got really comfortable with the idea. And you know the one question we always get is is it safe and and it is perfectly safe and Absolutely. you still have an element, you know, if you want your point loads around the core at seven point five kilonewtons, you know, they exist, they can do that. And one thing worth mentioning just on your slides, David, is that you know, the heavily densified floor that we that we tested was at a density of one to zero point five. I mean it's just theoretical, it would never happen, you know, to get to our one point nine three kilonewtons per meter squared, and that's on every floor of the building and you're still, you're still not close to 2.5, so, so yeah, we, we went through that process and it was, you know, there was, there was elements where we were kind of, should we or shouldn't we, but, you know, we feel that this is the right way to go, and we're trying to set, set a standard within the, within the industry and for other developers to follow.
0: It's almost like you could see the tablet, but there's, a, there's another question here about, and I'll, I'll just group them together, how did the agents react to, to this when you did the roadshow? Um, and then also, what, what's the sort of leasing market response being to, to this sort of challenge, a different approach?
1: Um, I mean, the first question I've probably already answered to some extent. And, you know, the, 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 the reaction from the agents, and this is via our leasing team internally, is, is being, has been is it, is it safe? Yes, it is. Okay, fine. What's the problem? Can I put my UPS somewhere? Yes, you can put your UPS somewhere. Can I have an in-connecting a staircase in between the floors? Yes, you can. Can I have a library? Can I have a commercial kitchen? Yes, 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 yes. So we've been through those, those type of questions with the agents. Um, in terms of the second part of the question, just remind me again, Andrew, what that was. It was
0: just around what's the leasing market response been? Leasing market response
1: uh, has, has been really good. And uh, we've, we've got a lot of leasing interest on the building at the moment, Um, and that is, is, I think, because of the quality of the building that, you know, PSC and the team have have been involved in designing, but also because of the sustainability elements, um, uh, you know, keeping the existing structure really low in body carbon. We are getting questions from occupiers about embodied carbon, and and they've got figures in their head now as well, so we've got to be on point, we've got to be putting our best foot forward in terms of embodied carbon. But also, as David mentioned, as I mentioned at the beginning, that the characteristics of the building really sell it. I mean, it's very rare to see an 18-metre span, column-to-column floor plate uh, in this site or anywhere, in fact, in London. Uh, and with such generous floor-to-ceiling heights. So it would be a real shame to kind of, you know, going back to the new build option at the very beginning, to go back to that, you know, go to a three-meter and, you know, nine-by-nine nine grid or, or six-by-nine grid, and, and you lose those views out onto the city, uh, and you lose the views out onto the Exchange Park that we've just just finished and want to capitalize on. So. It
3: might, might just be worth adding that when it comes to... So the safety question is put to one side. And that's, is it serviceable? Can, it, can I do what I want to do? And often, that, then we'll, that will focus on an extreme case. Can I put an auditorium in? Can I put a staircase in? But they're going to be very localized things. And it comes back to this point that really, we shouldn't be designing the entire structure with all of this extra capacity to sustain something that only happens in a very small portion of the building. It's not unusual to modify buildings, to incorporate a stair. You know, we, we, we do it. And as part of this is that we check that the building can sustain it. So, there's, there's another kind of layer to the work in that we look at what that alteration would be in the future. Can, is it possible? Can it be, um, can it be achieved? Yeah. It's
0: almost, it's, it's sort of turned something into a bit more of a positive, actually, when you've actually scrutinized it. You've got, actually you've got some advantages that maybe a new build wouldn't have. And I know this is a specific case, but would, would you say that
1: that's... Yeah, I mean, I don't... I, you know, there's not one building that's the same. So, you would get very, very different answers on every single building that you take forward, and you know, this, this might not necessarily save you much on another building you know, down the road, if you take this view of 2.5 you know, total uh, live loading. Um, but, I think, but I think with the data that we've got, we were able to make those decisions quite early on.
3: It will certainly have the biggest impact on buildings where the dead load components, all of the things that aren't the live load, structural self-weight, permanent finishes and so on, is a smaller proportion of the overall, and that's true of steel buildings, for example. If we look at typical concrete buildings, the benefit would be
0: smaller. Um, but it will have a benefit throughout. OK, thank you. Um, another question here. Uh, are there any lessons learned from this project that have changed your approach to the design and development of future schemes? Maybe Isabel. Right in here. Uh, so I don't know if my mic. Um, are there any lessons learned from the project that, that you've learned that you can take forward to the future project?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like I, I think, as I was saying earlier, the approach to how we design is ever-evolving. And you know, we, we've been involved with British land and exchange house on the refurbishment as well. We actually learned a lot from that, because it's a very similar structure. They were built in the same engineers, same, same, engineer, same um, architects, same period. Um, and we, we pushed the, push the limits there with Anthony. And we knew that we could do certain things that we are also doing uh, in Apple Street. Um, I think we will be. This will be a proof of concept for us as designers to, you know, to even push our boundaries further, and to see that you know it's not only within the capacity of the architectural um, intent that we could uh, challenge, as we always do, that we can actually challenge the client, the design team, and the structural engineers to, to 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 test every single item of the of the project, right? And so, so yeah, totally, definitely. I think the i cannot see london being built in a different way moving forward to be fair like we cannot just uh, demolish and rebuild every time so i think we're going to see more and more of these type of projects coming up
0: thank you um it's one more quite detailed question assuming you had to retain the 18 meter grid on the extension floors yes. do you have a feel for what impact that would have on the embodied carbon increase it I think it, I it, it
3: does come down then to in this instance, choosing the right floor zone. So in and of itself, a long span doesn't necessarily mean higher carbon if you've got a floor zone that's appropriate. And there were studies done to look at the impact of breaking up that span and the additional structure that would be required, maybe transfer beams. But we settled upon maintaining that clear span with a sensible floor zone and optimized beam design as the best way forward. But it is a good point and it's a good question. It, it does need to be considered.
0: Yeah. I think we might have to do one, one last question. We've got time for one last question. Um, and this is quite a good one to wrap it up. And I'm sorry if you haven't got all your questions in, if you want to come up to us, there's a, there's a bit of a gap after this um, presentation on this stand. So please come and ask the team. They're really open. They're really welcoming. Um, what are the key messages that should or be promoted to the industry following the success of this project. I mean, it's not built yet, but the success.
1: Um, yeah, you're right, it hasn't been built yet, uh, but the attention's there.
0: Um, success so far, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think, I think kind of key messaging um, start, start with sustainability at the beginning. I think, you is know. It's worth adding we, something we
0: didn't mention. It's sailed through planning. Uh,
1: yeah, pretty, yeah, there is. Yeah, there, well there is, yeah very good point. Uh, and it's, you know, the document that you've helped to write yourself, Andrew, the uh, City London. So it does fit that agenda in terms of planning with City London itself, um, but I think from from feasibility stage, you know, historically, developers, builders, you know, you, you you look at your cost, you look at your program, you look at your area, bang, out spits a number. You've got your performance and your viability. Um, we, we're now taking carbon and operational carbon into those figures as well. So right from the word go. And, you know, there, there is a cost attached to that. You know, we, we have a, an offset of £60 per tonne uh, on carbon. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's going through that, that process from day one in terms of assessing the carbon and what, what your kind of aspirations are. and From that, you can set a target for the team to aspire to. I mentioned 4.15 earlier. You know, we're driving towards 300 on this. We're not done yet, and and we're really, really trying to push that as much as we can. Um, other lessons, like you know, it's all key messages is get as much data as you can, you know, before you even appoint, you know, the project team, you know, from wherever you can get it, just gather that, have a plan on how you intend to approach the project, and um, and then just you know challenge the norms. As we've have done here, don't be scared to, to to push things out, you know, to really, to really, you know, push those boundaries. If you've got the right team and you've got the right environment in which to do that, then then that should come naturally. Um, and, and I suppose the kind of last one is e- encourage your children to do sustainability because we're running out of experts out there. We really are, uh, and engineers, and you know, to get to get Hilson ran you know, here and, and to get the right right sustainability expertise in these projects is hard, and they're few and far between. So, yeah, try and, try and push for more upskilling within the industry itself, I think, without doing you out of a job. Andrew. Yeah, of course, yeah.
0: Not, not too much upskilling. Yeah. Um, brilliant. I think, everyone, I think we've hit time, so thank you very much. Um, you. Please just extend your hands to our brilliant presenters.